welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. I'd like to invite any child in the room. This is Communion Sunday, so oftentimes at this point we would dismiss you to your class. Victor, come on down. Mags, I believe. Anybody else? This will be, you can sit right there, bud. I'm going to, yeah, right there. Sam, you want, okay, sorry, Sam's a little old for this, but anyway, others that want to come, very good. I'm going to get down on the floor here with you, and we're going to have a small chat. So, Christmas, who wants to tell me what you got for Christmas? I got a bike. You got a bike? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a, just a regular road bike kind of thing? Yeah. How about someone else? What'd you get? A longboard. A longboard? Is that a, like a skateboard? Are you good on a longboard? You wear a helmet? That's good. You thought about that a little bit, but we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. How about someone else? What'd you get? Go-kart. A go-kart? Like a gas-powered go-kart? No. You do it with your feet like Fred Flintstone? Yeah. Very good. Anybody else? One more. Um, I got a video game. A video game? What video game? Um, Pokemon Sword. Pokemon Sword? Sword? Pokemon Sword. That's great. Sounds like you guys had a great Christmas. Were your gifts under the tree just sitting there, or were they wrapped up? They were wrapped up. They were wrapped up. How do you wrap a bike? Um, well, it was in a box because oh, we had to put it together. Got it. And then the box was wrapped. So you didn't know what it was? No. So think of this. I said it was Epiphany Sunday. It's a big word. but It means a really simple thing. It just means revealed. So on Christmas, you went downstairs. You saw your presents. They were hidden. And then you tore open the pre- tore the paper off the gift, right? Yes. You didn't take the paper off? No, because I got it from a store. Oh, you got it from a store. Well, then you, don't say anything else because you're ruining my story. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, I'm just kidding you, Victor. <laughs> so you opened the present and the gift was revealed. So in the Bible, there's this little story, Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read it to you. And this is where this idea of epiphany comes from. It's Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. So this happened a couple years after Jesus was born. And the reason today or this Sunday is called Epiphany Sunday is because Jesus was revealed to these guys when they came to his house. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they realized this Jesus was the one that they had been searching for. He was unwrapped, we might say, and they saw who he was. Does anybody know what these wise men brought to Jesus? Mags? Frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they brought gifts, and they presented them to Jesus. It's kind of interesting that on Christmas, we give gifts to each other. At this epiphany, these guys came and gave gifts to Jesus. And one of the reasons they they gave gifts to Jesus is because he was the gift to the world. By coming and being our Lord and our Savior, and demonstrating God's love for us. It was God's gift to all of us. And our response to all that is to go out into the world and share him 
give him to others as a gift. So make him known or reveal him to others by how we live, by how we treat our friends, by how we love other people, by how we love one another. So we reveal Jesus to the world so they can see him and they can come to know him by how we live. Or if you want to think of it this way, we bring the gift of Jesus to the world and by our words and by our actions, we unwrap him so other people can see him. So one of the traditions of Epiphany in certain parts of the world is that they put gifts inside of children's shoes on that's Epiphany also, Sunday. That's also a thing uh, at St. Nicholas Day. Um, what does he do? He was a saint in an ancient church. And Similar kinds of stuff? Similar kinds yeah. of stuff to giving Christmas. gifts. Yeah. Giving okay, so yeah. gifts are given on Epiphany Sunday. So I have a gift for you. And it's in the form of chocolate. Now, I recognize that chocolate has a certain effect on young bodies like you have, but that's for your parents to deal with, not me. Um, Now, some of you might have this whole peanut problem, peanut allergy thing. So what I'm going to do is I want you to take, this one has Snickers, Twix, Milky Way, Caramel, M&M Caramel, and this one has all these different Hershey bars chocolate. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take as many of those as you want without being greedy, okay? And then just stay here. Take a few of them. You don't have to take one. Take two, three, four, whatever you want. Take from whichever bag you want and just get them in one. All, as much as you can get in one hand without being greedy. How about that, okay? All right, once you're done, I want you to count how many you have. No, how much you got? All right, here's the deal. You guys have been a great... Uh, audience, this is what I'd like you to do. Okay? What I'd like you to do, we're going to leave this here. And what I'd like you to do, you see how you just got a gift? Because today's Epiphany, and part of what we're to be doing is giving the gift of Jesus to others. Chocolate isn't Jesus. But this idea of giving to others, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your seat. But before you go to your seat, I want you to walk around this room. And I want you to give what you took to different people in this room so they get a gift from you. Now, here's the thing. This is the key part. Believe me, you don't want to miss this part. So you go give those, go give away. (laughs) We're grabbing more stuff now. Go give away. Go give away. (laughs) Stocking up. Go Go give all of that away to whomever you want, not just to one person. Give one to different people. Walk around. Give it away. Then go sit back with your parents, and here's the deal. When the service is over, and when I'm done yapping up here, and we're done with communion, I want you to all come back up here when the service is over, and I got another gift for you, okay? All right, go back to your seats, but on your way, give your gifts away. Look for people who look like they need chocolate. There's tons of them here. And while that is happening, if you... I don't know if it's good or bad if you get one. That's up for you to decide. But it's a good thing, giving away gifts. So as I mentioned, Epiphany is a Christian feast. It's been around for a couple thousand years. It celebrates the appearing of God or the revelation of God in the world. And usually at this time of year, we think about the story I just read. We think about 
the wise men, how they came to visit Jesus, probably close to two years after he was born. And he was revealed to them on that first epiphany. The date of epiphany is January 6th. I believe that is this Thursday. So January 6th is the day that for thousands of years has been celebrated as the day that Jesus was revealed to the world in all of his humility and all of his gentleness in the power that he has to save, to rescue, to redeem, to heal, to restore is the Christian feast of Epiphany on January 6th. And as I mentioned, it is typically celebrated on the first Sunday after the first of the year. Now, we just spent an entire series talking about mission and this idea of making God known in this world. So we aren't going to specifically address this idea of epiphany or making God known uh, again today. Obviously, today is close to the very beginning of a new year. We're at the start of a new year. So we could talk today about what's in store for us as a church as we look out onto the horizon, some of the goals we want to pursue, some of the challenges we will undoubtedly face. But for various reasons, I've decided to set that aside for another time. I'm really glad a new year is starting. It's been a tough couple of years, as you all know. I think that toughness and that difficulty is probably going to linger a little while longer. But the new year brings with it a kind of built-in reboot or restart. And so today I would like for each of us, young, old, and everything in between, to center our thoughts on rebooting our relationship with God as we begin this new year. If any one of us who is sitting here today or at home, old or young, doesn't matter the age, if we were handed a golf club and told to swing it, we could all do it. Now, it might not be pretty. There could be injuries to the one swinging. There could be injuries to those around the one swinging, but we could all do it. And our golf swing would be unique to us because no two golf swings are exactly alike. Now, most likely our swing would reflect what we felt was the most natural and comfortable way to swing a club, meaning we would take the club in our hands. We wouldn't think about it too much and we would just swing it in whatever way felt the most comfortable to us. But if we actually wanted to learn how to play golf, and if we actually wanted to improve at the game of golf, then we would eventually realize there are actually inherent flaws in our natural and comfortable swing that will keep us from playing the game better. Might not see it right away, But down the road, either on our own or probably with the help of somebody who knows more about it than we do, we would become aware of the fact that there are inherent flaws in our natural and comfortable golf swing. Little things, not big things, things that are hard to detect. So even though our swing feels natural and comfortable, there most likely are some issues with it. And if we want to improve then we have to identify the flaws in our swing and reduce them or maybe eliminate them. These will be subtle changes. These are going to be tweaks and slight alterations. But as we incorporate these tweaks and alterations 
into our swing, our swing will no longer feel as comfortable or as natural as it did when we just grabbed the club and swang it. Our swing, after these alterations and tweaks, will actually feel kind of uncomfortable and a bit unnatural. You hear this all the time when someone gets told a tip on their golf swing, they swing the club and they say, that doesn't feel right. And someone who knows what they're talking about will say, good, then it probably is right. So these things won't get natural and comfortable until our new swing gets ingrained into our muscle memory and becomes first nature to us. And the only way that will become first nature is through repetition and practice. My dad taught my brother and I how to play golf when I was eight years old, or at least he started the very difficult process of teaching us how to play golf when I was eight years old. And a couple of weeks ago, my brother and I were together and we played around together and we talked like we always do about the nuances of the game and about the intricacies and the nuances of the swing. See, the longer you play golf, the easier it is to forget the basics. Now, you don't fade away overnight. You don't wake up one day and go, now, what does a golf club look like again? The basics don't go away overnight. They incrementally fade with time, almost like the basics of golf are trying to slowly escape and free themselves from our muscle memory. One of the first things my dad taught us about golf was to keep our head down through the swing and not look up too soon. All kinds of things go wacky if you pull out of the shot too soon or if you look up too soon. I've known this basic of golf for 50 years now. But on a regular basis, I'll be playing or I'll be practicing and it'll occur to me, there I go again. I'm looking up too soon. I'm pulling out of the shot too soon. Well, all of this is to set up a parallel, I think is probably true in most of our spiritual lives. So I'd like us to think for a few minutes about the current muscle memory in our spiritual life, our spiritual swing, if you will. Or put it this way, if we just do what feels natural and comfortable in our spiritual life, what do we do? How do we nurture our life with God? As the days and the weeks go by, what practices, what disciplines, what relationships, what experiences do we engage in to do our part in cultivating our relationship with Jesus? And when we think of it this way, what is our natural approach to our life with God? What are the things that we just routinely and comfortably and naturally do to cultivate our relationship with God? When we think of it this way, I wonder if, for some of us, the answer is a bit elusive. Because we aren't really sure what we do. Or maybe this is even more true. We don't really think about it too much. Now, if you ask me the same question as it relates to my wife, what do you do to cultivate a relationship with your wife, then I will tell you, well, we have conversations every day to one length or another. Sometimes they're long conversations. Sometimes they're short conversations. Sometimes she does much of the talking and I listen. Sometimes I do much of the talking and she listens. We go out to dinner together once in a while. It's another way we cultivate our relationship with each other. The other night we went and saw Spider-Man together, just the two of us. 
She texts me during the day. Or I text her. I call her during the day. Or she calls me. Tonight she's going to make a delicious dinner for me and wait on my every need because the Packers are playing the Vikings and could clinch the top spot in the NFC in the Sunday night football game tonight. She doesn't know she's going to be doing this yet, but she's sitting right there, so now she does. But you get the point. And again, I want to come back to this. How about with God? How about with you and God? How's your spiritual swing? What is your spiritual swing? What do we do just sort of naturally and comfortably and regularly to cultivate and nurture our relationship with God? For the next few minutes, I'd like to remind us of three, what I'm going to call basics of a good spiritual swing. I I would call these essential elements in our life with God. Basics. But as essential and basic as they may be, just like with the basics of a golf swing, sometimes these things slowly fade as if they were trying to secretly escape from our spiritual muscle memory, and then days and weeks and months go by, and we don't do these things. So I think it's a good idea to reboot on each of these at the beginning here of 2022. Now, like any alteration to our golf swing, changing things in terms of how we approach our relationship with God is probably going to be uncomfortable and feel unnatural for a while. It's the way it is when we try to build something new into our lives. Once we put these things in, the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, we might have one of those statements that goes something like, this doesn't feel right, or maybe more likely, This is boring to me. Or maybe more likely, I'm not sure what to do here. My simple encouragement is to stay with it. These are really simple. There's nothing complicated about this. Every age in this room can do these three things in one way or another. And every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, if you'll permit me, needs to do these things to one degree or another. So the first basic of a good... Spiritual swing, simply read the Bible. Engaging with the Bible is a basic component in our life with God. If we want to have a relationship with him, we have to be engaging with the Bible, reading it, pondering it, considering it, and most importantly, letting the wisdom of the Bible shape our attitudes and perspectives on the issues happening in our lives and in this world. Let me say that again. Letting the wisdom of the Bible shape our attitudes and our perspectives on the issues that are happening in our lives and in the world at any given time. If we have any desire to cultivate a relationship with God, if we have any desire to develop a spiritual swing, then we have to have regular occasions where we are in front of the Bible ourselves. We're listening to it. We're actually reading it. And we're taking it in. So today I'm going to use three psalms to help make these three points. And I would encourage you to go back to these three psalms. I would encourage you to write down these three references to these three psalms and go back and reread them tonight or this week because they help ground these three suggestions I'm giving you. 
and they'll help establish these basics. So I'd like to read from Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. The one who engages with the Bible gradually becomes a person who bears kingdom fruit. The words of God steadily and consistently influence and impact us in ways we can't see and probably won't even notice in the moment. But our thoughts gradually and our feelings and our instincts and our reactions and our responses will reflect in time the fruit of the kingdom of God because the word of God is getting into us. There are innumerable sources we can turn to these days for insight into the big issues of our time. Think of those big issues for just a moment. We all probably have a different definition of what the big issues are, but think of some of those big issues for a moment. COVID, for example. The economy, perhaps. Immigration. The job market. Minimum wage. Racial injustice the poor, abortion, whatever the big issues are in terms of your mind, our minds are bombarded with insights every day from our favorite TV or radio or podcast personality on these big issues. And their voice and their opinion shape our attitudes and perspectives on the big issues of our time far more than we realize. See, we form our views on these things from the wisdom we receive from our favorite pundit more than from the wisdom we receive from the Bible. So regarding the big issues of our time, we just have to admit this. We just need to come clean about this. We've just got to put this out on the table and stop pretending otherwise. Because on the big issues that our world is facing, what God's Word says, the wisdom of Scripture what's on God's mind related to this issue, what God values, the ethics of his kingdom, let's just say it, are kind of dismissed in favor of what we might call the real wisdom or what we might think is the real wisdom of the day that we think helps us live in the real world. And I think a reboot is a good idea here at the beginning of 2002. Regular engagement with the Bible throughout The week has a way of shaping and refining our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes, and our perspectives in ways we don't even realize. Or in the language of the psalm, as we delight ourselves in God's word and meditate on it, chew on it, think about it, ponder it, mull it over, consider it, we are shaped by it. And the fruit of the kingdom becomes visible in our responses and in our reactions to the big issues of our day. See, Christians need to be in the scriptures with humility. We need to read them, listen to them, ponder them, struggle with them, 
talk them out with others. And we need to pay special attention to the words and to the ideas that do not align with what we already think or with what we already believe. We need to have sort of a red flag that when we read something and it goes against what we think or it pushes in the opposite of direction of what we believe, those are the places we need to camp the most and say, God, what do you have for me here? And just to be clear on this, we don't engage with the scriptures to get answers to the big issues of life and society. We'll find some answers along the way. But the Bible is not primarily a book of answers. It is a story. It's a story of God and of who God is and of what God desires from human beings. The Bible is not primarily a book of answers, even though we wish it was, because most of us like answers. Answers make the world neater and safer and easier. We engage with the Bible then to be shaped by it. To be made wise by it is the way I would put it. So we can live for God in the midst of the sprawling chaos of everyday life in this world. So next weekend, next Sunday, we are starting a, a brand new series. And it's going to be on the life of Solomon, King Solomon, from the Old Testament. We're calling it proverbial wisdom. You may or may not know this, but Solomon was known mostly, at least early in his life, for his wisdom. And wisdom is very different than knowledge. Solomon was known for being able to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. Solomon knew how to live out God's truth in everyday life situations. He didn't have a rule book he had memorized. Solomon knew how to come into a variety of life situations and drawing upon the wisdom of God's word that was in him, he knew what to do at the right time and in the right way, which is why he was called wise. And so we are going to dive into this starting next week. Here's the point. We are going to have, we have a Bible reading plan that is going to take us all the way through this coming up series. And that reading plan is going to be on our Oak Hills app. That reading plan is going to be on our website. It's really simple. It's amounting to one chapter a day. We're going to use the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. And the book of Ecclesiastes, there's 12, and there may be a few others. But each day will be one chapter out of those books. And it's really simple. It's just asking each of us to read that one chapter and to let it wash over us. I would even go so far as to say, read that one chapter, and when something jumps out at you and hits you, especially if it's different from what you already think and what you already believe, if you want to, just stop reading there and go on. But one chapter a day through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, both books that Solomon had a large hand in writing, and one chapter a day, is extremely doable. Just imagine that for a second. We as a church family, engaged in the scriptures, reading the Bible, reading it on our own, having conversations perhaps about it, and trusting that the Spirit of God is going to shape us, that those streams of water are going to bring forth kingdom fruit. I know some of us have different Bible reading things we're engaged in. My encouragement is to do this one as well so we have a communal experience even as we have an individual one. And let's see how this reboots us through reading the Bible. The second 
basic of a spiritual swing. I'm simply calling be grateful. From Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, again, I would encourage you to write these verses down or write the reference down. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Revisit this wonderful opening of this psalm of gratitude. One sort of gets the sense that David is shaking off the doom and gloom that has settled into his inner life. He speaks to his own soul, if you followed that. And he summons his own soul to give thanks to God for the many good things God has done for him. See, this psalm is perfect for people who've been stuck under a cloud of darkness and heaviness for whatever reason, and we have. And it's easy to let doom and gloom become our first language. And the basic of gratitude, of thankfulness, fades away, and complaint becomes our first language. You know the type I'm talking about. Life is never good because there's always something not going well. And whatever is not going well somehow has the power to override all the good and ruin it. So the focus is always the 17% or the 27% or the 42% of life that isn't going the desired way. But for some reason, the corresponding 83% or 73% or 58% that is going well rarely gets celebrated. And even though the majority is going well, it is unable to eradicate the minority that is complained about. I just want to say this. It is so hard, maybe impossible, to live for God in any meaningful way without gratitude. Or put it this way, where the, when the gratitude meter is low, God will seem to be far away. When the complaint meter is perpetually running, God will seem to be far away. In fact, when the complaint meter is perpetually running, God will probably get reduced to little more than an idea, but certainly not a living person with whom we have an actual relationship. So gratitude is both the fruit of a relationship with God, but it is also the means of cultivating a relationship with God. I feel this with myself sometimes, and it may apply to you as well. So here's an idea. Put a gag order on the complaints for three days. Put it this way. If you complain about anything from now until Wednesday, you have to give me $20 for each infraction. And if I complain between now and Wednesday, then you have to give me $20 for each infraction. David in the psalm will have none of this chronic complaining. Just listen to his phrases. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires 
with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you know what youth is renewed like the eagles means? It means a reboot. It's a reboot prompted by gratitude for, to God for the many good things he has done. Now, I assure you, especially if you've fallen into this first language of complaint, I assure you, gratitude will feel uncomfortable at first. When you make the tweak and try to work gratitude into your spiritual swing, it will feel uncomfortable and it will feel unnatural. How you doing? I'm doing great. God has been very good to me. I love my family. We're having a blast hanging out. Wait a minute. Uh, I'm really tired. It's not going well. You have to work yourself out of it because that first language of complaint gets rooted down into us. So we've got to work at this. So here's my suggestion. Sometime today or tomorrow, actually I actually have two suggestions here. Put a gag order on complaint for a longer period of time than you think you can handle. And create a fine system within your family, monetary, where you've got to pay up if you complain. Here's the other suggestion. Sometime today or tomorrow, take a walk all by yourself or with someone else. If you have a gentle, lovable, adorable companion of a dog, take him with you. And while you're out for this walk, alone or with others, rattle off the things you are grateful for. Say them out loud to yourself, to God, and if you're with someone, to the other. Just say the good things that God has packed into your life. So here's the third suggestion. I'll be quick with this one. The third basic of cultivating a life with God is to be playful. Psalm 16 Verses 5 through 11. Listen to this. Listen to the language of joy and delight in this psalm. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Notice a number of times this psalm references joy, delight, and goodness. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The last couple of years have been a demanding grind and the effects are evident everywhere. Airports, restaurants, stores, and on faces in general. And this may seem terrifically unspiritual to you. And maybe this is just merely autobiographical. Maybe it's just something I need. But I sense my soul needs a reboot only playfulness can bring. 
we were at a friend's house for New Year's Eve, and there were a bunch of younger kids at this house, which made it really fun. And there was this one little girl whose name is Rhea. She's about three, I'd say. Izzy, my 24-year-old, was a nanny to Rhea and to her sister, Cora, for about three months, ended sometime in November. So I got to know Rhea and Cora when Izzy would bring them over to our house when she was nannying for them. And from the first time I met Rhea, she reminded me of Izzy when Izzy was that age. Sassy, hair going in every direction, not really that much into clothes, preferred the diaper or less, just running around, incredibly strong-willed, and just had this witty, funny, sassy attitude. Just this wonderful little girl. The other night, I had a chance to play with Rhea for about 10 minutes. I was sitting on the floor, and I was holding this lighted, sort of colorfully lighted styrofoam thing, and she kept running over to me, trying to grab it out of my hand, and she'd grab it, and I'd say, no, this is mine. And she'd start laughing, that belly laugh, and she'd say, no, it's mine. And then she would laugh, and then I'd try to reach out and tickle her, and she'd scamper away. And I realized the whole mine, no, mine thing is probably not, you know, too good to promote with a three-year-old. But she's not my kid, so who cares? <laughs> there was something about those ten playful minutes that just felt soulful to me. Life-giving. Liberating might be the best word. Something about those 10 minutes was just a pushback to all the heaviness we've been living under. Something about those 10 minutes was like an act of faith. It was a demonstration of faith that said, you know what? In the midst of all this, this is real. In the midst of all this, this matters. In the midst of all this, there's a reason for joy. There's a reason for delight. There's a reason for laughter, and this soul needs more of that, not less of it. I came across this great verse the other day. It's in the last book of the Old Testament. It's in the last chapter in the last book in the Old Testament. It's Malachi 4 and verse 2. To set it up a little bit, the prophet is talking about the coming day of judgment for those who are arrogant and those who are evildoers. And you read this and you go, oh boy. This isn't helping with the lightness for sure. Has this kind of ominous feel to it. But right there in the middle of it, the prophet points to a time in the future when God is going to restore and God is going to make new. And he says this in verse 2, and I just love this. He says, but for you who revere my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. I just love the image of that. This is my theme verse for this year. To frolic like a well-fed calf. So after Julie does all this stuff for me this afternoon, I'm going to go in the backyard and frolic like a well-fed calf. Playful. Good for the soul. Hopeful. Rebooted. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the joy and the wonder and the delight that is in you. 
Thank you that you made us as eternal creatures. We will always exist. Every one of us will live forever. Every person in this room will live forever. And we want to live with you forever. So let us start now. Let us begin now. Let us learn how to do life with you now. Let us learn how to take in your word and have it shape us now. Let us be grateful now. And let us learn how to be playful because we have reason to be playful because of who you are. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.